Colossians chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 7 all the way to 18. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you and welcome, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of, La of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And that is the wonderful word of the Lord. So today marks our last sermon, as I said, in the book of Colossians. We started walking through this book on June the 25th. That was the first sermon. So it's been um, almost six months uh, since we've been in this book. And not bad for a book that has four chapters. Uh, there's a lot packed into this book. It's been a wonderful blessing to me. I hope it's been a blessing to you. And there are several themes that you can detect that run throughout this uh, book. But one of the main themes is in Christ alone. Uh, we see a lot of that in here. Um, in chapter 1, Paul displays the preeminence pre of Christ. And he, he discusses that. It's, a, it's an old hymn that uh, he is quoting from. But in that hymn, in that uh, description of Christ, we see where everything comes from Christ and is for, and is, it is, and is for Christ. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, I just want to read a couple of those verses to you. Verses 15 and 16, he says of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so right after that, Paul teaches how all things were created through him and for him and how all things are found in him. Uh, he teaches the church that, are, that they are spiritually alive in Christ alone. Uh, in this letter, he also teaches the church that their righteousness is not found in, in, in them obeying the law or, or, or them punishing themselves 
but their righteousness is found in Christ alone. He also teaches them that their identity is in Christ alone. He says, put off the old self and put on the new self. And then he teaches them that their relationships, that their relationships must be built on Christ alone. And that's where we get his instructions on the family and, and the home. Now on this letter's conclusion, the verses that we're looking at today, Paul teaches the church that although life is found in Christ alone, that doesn't mean that we are to do life alone. And I think that's a valuable lesson for us today. He pulls the curtain back on the network of people who make it possible for him to minister to not only this church in Colossae, but all the churches that, that, he, that he is serving, that he is ministering to. Uh, the people, I think, are very interesting that Paul lists, but it goes beyond the people, right? Because people have lives. Uh, people are somebody. They are doing something. So we'll call that their circumstances. The people and their circumstances that Paul lists help us to understand the dynamic membership of the Lord's church, of the body of Christ. And it also help, helps us to understand the common spirit that empowers every man with a common purpose. And that's what we're going to look at today. It's the Lord who is working in us to achieve his will. But we're not all the same. We're all different. We serve a different, uh, we, we serve a different talent or we have a different talent. In some ways, we serve a different purpose, but it's for the same purpose. We do different things. We have different gifts. And that's the picture we get with the people who are with Paul. And what I want to do is I want to look at, first of all, the people who are with him. And I'm going to spend most of the time there because there, there's a lot to unpack with uh, the names that he lists. But then there is also people serving in Colossae that are very interesting as well. As well. But then I want to bring it all together and discuss what it means for us as a church from a practical perspective and how, how this passage teaches us that we are no different than the people who were helping Paul. So let's talk about the body of Christ that was with Paul. And we see this in verses 7 through 14. Now, um, here's a list of people that were with him. He says, Tychicus, uh, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. These are the names of the people who were uh, with Paul while he was in prison. Now, when you look at those names, I mean, may, there may be one or two that you recognize, but it doesn't seem like it's a, it's a who's who's list of the New Testament. But these men, we have to understand that they had been partners with Paul for a long time and that they weren't just involved with him at the church of Colossae but it went beyond that some of these men would stay with Paul until the end of his life and so we see a, a wonderful relationship that has developed between Paul and these people and how much he relied on them in order to minister to the church in Colossae and as I said before in other places um, there are three letters that kind of go together. The letter to Philemon, who was the owner, the slave owner of Onesimus, 
uh, Ephesians, and then this book to Colossae. These three letters were written around the same time and being delivered together. And at the very end of Colossae, of Colossians, excuse me, you can see Paul saying, I want you to share this letter with the church in Laodicea, which is the, the, the church in the Ephesian church, the Ephesian people. And I want them to read the, church, the letter from Laodicea to you. And so these, these letters were circulated within several different churches. No telling how, who else heard the letter. But it, it took a network of people in order for Paul to do what he was called to do. And it's very interesting once we start to unpack each person and look at their circumstance. Uh, as far as, as I said, the list that I just gave you, we might not recognize these people, but they meant a lot to Paul. It, it's, it reminds me of whenever I say that I pastor Community Baptist Church in Victoria, Texas. People say, oh, you do it by yourself. I'm like, no way, I don't do it by myself. So there's a bunch of people who, who help and teach and I start listing off the people. I'm like Pastor Laramie, Pastor David, Pastor Lee, uh, you know, I, Rob, Wayne, as I'm looking around here, all these different people who, 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 who teach and who, who share their time. Um, I, I start listing people off, and they have no idea who you are. They, they only know me because of a certain connection that we have. It may be work. It may be personal. But they don't know who you are, but you mean a lot to me. And the same thing happens with you. Whenever someone asks you, oh, you go to that church? Yeah, who else goes there? You start li listing off these names. They're like, sorry, I don't know them, but they mean a lot to you. And they mean a lot to you because they're more than just a name. The people that you're listing off, they are more than just a name, but they are your sibling in Christ. They are your partners in the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He is listing off these names, and they, they mean a lot to him, So it would benefit us if we are careful to look at the people with Paul and understand their story within this letter. First of all, we have Tychicus, who seems to be a pastor. And I say seems because uh, the word diakonos is used either as a servant, which is, translates to a deacon, or it also sometimes is used as a minister, which translates to a pastor. Uh, the way it's written here, it seems like he was a pastor within this church. And Paul says of Tychicus, he says that he is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Now, one thing to know about Tychicus is that he was the carrier of the letters to Colossae, to Philemon, and also to Ephesus. He was a trusted worker with Paul to the very end because he's mentioned in other letters. And so this is not the last time Paul's going to mention him. But listen to the description of Tychicus here. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. From a minister's perspective, from a pastor's perspective, I cannot think of a better compliment that a minister could receive from someone else, especially from Paul, their mentor, than to be considered faithful. That is a wonderful compliment. When it's all said and done, and 
It's time for me to go home. I don't want you to talk about how brilliant I was or how talented I was. You can laugh. Go ahead. You can laugh. I don't want you to go on and on about that because I know you will or how dynamic my preaching was. But I want you to focus on my faithfulness. Because if I am not faithful, none of that matters. And that's the ministry that God has called us to, not only us as pastors, but us as Christians to be faithful to him. So my hope and prayer is that you remember the faithfulness of not only me, but the people who are sitting next to you when it's all said and done. What does it mean to be faithful? Well, number one, it means that you show up, that you show up, that you're there. And I'm not just talking about Sundays, Sunday after Sunday. I'm talking about your present. You're there for the people God has put you to serve. You're available. If you're not showing up, you're not being faithful. If you're not extending mercy and grace and help, then you're not being faithful. So we must show up. We must be prepared. We must be loving. And we must be steadfast in our calling. I'm sure there's more to faithfulness than that. But for me, that's what I look at whenever I see the word faithful. Ministry is ups and downs, ups and downs. But we still must remain faithful in what God has called us to do. And when I say ministry, I just don't mean us as far as pastoring this church or anything, life is ministry, so it involves everything that happens in life. My ministry is not only this church, but it's my family, it's my job, it's everything that God has called me to. So when we look at Tychicus and we see that he is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, may those who we know speak of us in this way. May they say that we are faithful, that we are beloved, and that we are servants of the Lord. When we look at what it means to be faithful, the perfect picture of that is Christ. Again, we come back to Christ. And he is the picture, the perfect picture of faithfulness. So what a blessing it is when we exemplify faithfulness to our neighbor, that we're, that we're there, that we're present, that we're loving, that we're prepared, and that we're steadfast in ministering to one another. The second person is Onesimus. He is also with Paul, and it seems, and he seems to be a, a citizen of Colossae. Paul says that uh, he is one of you. Now, Onesimus is the runaway slave of Philemon, and He's also the subject of the letter. And here, Paul also gives him the ultimate compliment of being faithful and beloved. Now, Onesimus and Tychicus, they are, um, they are named together because they were charged with reporting about the workings of the spirits uh, where Paul was imprisoned. And when you speak of Onesimus, he was the one who had sinned against his master. He had ran away, and, and, and right now I can't recollect for whatever reason or if the book 
uh, Philemon even tells us, but he ran away from his master. And now at the moment, he ended up with Paul. He was converted and became a Christian. And now Paul is, is, is encouraging him to go back to his master and be restored to him. So we see Onesimus, uh, he's seeking restoration here. He sinned against somebody and now he's seeking restoration. I, I look at Onesimus and I think how many of us are, they, are, are there like him? He is a reminder to us that although someone has sinned against us, that they must be forgiven. And, and when we look at Onesimus, we can't say that he deserves forgiveness because we don't know him, but we can know that no one deserves forgiveness. But that's not the reason why we forgive. We forgive because Christ died for the sins of the person who has sinned against you. And we also forgive because we have been forgiven much. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know, in today's society, forgiveness is, is taboo. It's not something that the world applauds. When someone sins against someone else or someone does something wrong against someone else, I, I think the preferred method of dealing with that person is to dismiss them from your life. I think that is celebrated. It's like, oh, they hurt you, they did something to you, then forget them. Put them aside. If you don't have positive people around you, then, you, then, then your life is not what, it's going, what it should be. You need to only put people that are going to support you and, and, and not do anything wrong to you. Well, if you, use that, if you use that as advice and if you follow that advice, you're not going to have anybody around you. You're not even going to be able to have yourself around you because you are just like everybody else. But that's the, that, that's the, the, the advice that society gives. But not for us. Anisimus is a reminder of that, that sin is a part of our relationship. It's a part of the fall of creation. We're not going to be able to have relationships that don't have sin on this side of heaven. Someone is going to wrong us. We are going to wrong somebody else. Just give it a matter of time. But when someone is seeking restoration, when someone is seeking forgiveness... Our calling is to forgive them. Our calling as Christians is to forgive them for the sake of reconciliation. Not forgive them and toss them aside. Not forgive them and, 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 and then treat them badly for the rest of their lives. We are to try to find reconciliation within that relationship that is the gospel in action. We were enemies of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He reconciled us to God so that we may have life and have it to the full. Anisimus, for me, as I look at that passage, is a reminder of that. 
And he's one of the men that, were, that was with Paul. We also have Aristarchus. And he was a fellow prisoner of Paul's. Now, it doesn't say what he did to be a prisoner. But as we look at this passage, it, it doesn't matter much. Uh, the thing that we need to understand is that as Paul was in chains, so was Aristarchus. And Paul doesn't go into great detail about what happened to him or why he was in chains. But what matters is that he was a co-believer and co-worker um, of Paul in chains. And as we look at Aristarchus, he is a reminder that the Lord provides people to suffer with us. I, I, I really like his circumstance. I, I'm sure Aristarchus really, he didn't like his circumstance, but I, I really appreciate his circumstance. Paul, Paul says, hey, this is, this is my partner here. He's, he's in chains with me. What I endure, he's endure, he endures. He, he, he sends you thanks. He wants to say hi. He wants you to know that he's, he's praying for you and that he's working and laboring for your good and the glory of God. He knows everything. He knows my struggle because he is my brother in Christ struggling with me. Yeah, I, I really like that. He is a reminder that the Lord provides people to suffer with. See, when we're part of a body of Christ, we're, we never suffer alone. We shouldn't. I, I'm of the opinion that if we suffer alone, it's because many times we're, we're choosing to do that. Now, does the church fail sometimes? Sure. As I said, there is sin in relationships, but... More times than not, when someone is suffering alone, it's because they won't open up. It's because they won't share. It's because they won't make themselves vulnerable. We shouldn't suffer alone if we have the church. Listen, the person next to you is more than just a person. They are your sibling in Christ. These people you're going to be with, not only now, but for eternity. They are also more than just the person that you see every single Sunday. At least they should be. The Bible says we are to share each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Bible also says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I, I love the, the, the phrase, live in harmony with one another. Um, I'm not a singer, so I don't really go there for an illustration because I can't even harmonize. But when I look at harmony, it means to fit together. It means to complement one another. And I think that's the goal of harmonizing with somebody is to complement uh, voices complementing one another, that they fit together well, that they sound beautiful together. Well, life, our partnership should be harmonious. And so we are called to live in harmony with one another. That means if one is rejoicing, we rejoice with them. If one is suffering, 
we suffer with them in a sense. Obviously, we can't take away their joy. We can't take away their suffering. But we're there sharing that burden. We're there for one another. We're present. We're available. We're prepared. We're loving. And most of all, we persevere with them. We're steadfastness in our rejoicing and also in our, in, in our suffering with them. As I look at Aristarchus, he is a uh, reminder of that. He was there with Paul, suffering with him, and he brought a lot of comfort to him. Then we have Mark. Mark is, yes, it is. That's the one name that I think everybody recognizes, Mark. Uh, he was the cousin of Barnabas. And yes, it's the same Mark who, who caused Paul and Barnabas to split up. I say he's the one who caused it. Obviously, there, there's always two, at least two people who are, who are involved and also have responsibility in, in, in when, when things go wrong, right? But he is the one who seems to be at fault in the relationship. Whatever Mark did, it caused disharmony, the opposite of what we are call, called to as, harm, as Christians. Um, Paul writes of him in verse 10, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, the relationship between Paul and Mark it just already the split up had happened about 10 years, about a decade ago, and now Mark was with him. It seems that whatever relationship issues they had, they had healed by now. And, and, and now Mark was a trusted uh, co-worker of Paul's. And what's awesome about Mark is that uh, Paul is writing this and to while he's writing this not in his last imprisonment, but Mark is there in this imprisonment, and then he would be mentioned in Paul's last imprisonment in 2 Timothy at the very end of that letter. So that shows us that Mark stayed with Timothy for the long haul. Or excuse me, Mark stayed with Paul for the long haul. In fact, at the very end of his life, Paul longed to see Mark again. This is what he says at, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. He says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So with Onesimus, we see a brother who is seeking restoration. With Mark, we see a brother who has received restoration. See, when you look at a church, there are both types of people there are those who are seeking restoration they've they've done something and 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 they're they're seeking forgiveness and then you have those who have been forgiven both are a beautiful picture of the gospel just as anisimus is a reminder of god's mercy and grace so is mark just as anisimus is a reminder of second chances so is mark just as anisimus is a reminder of us so is Mark. Mark is a reminder of the power of God's grace in bringing restoration to relationships. Many, many are longing to be restored. And it doesn't have to be just to those that are around you. We can look at this from a family setting. 
Many are longing to be restored to their loved one. Maybe it's a, a father or a mother longing to be restored to a son or a daughter. Or maybe it's a husband and wife longing to be restored. Maybe it's a brother or sister in Christ. Whatever it is, I think Mark teaches us that we should never lose hope in seeking that restoration. We should put our trust in Christ and Christ alone and maintain the hope, we maintain hope in the Lord that he will do his work in that person. We also see Jesus, who is called Justice. Um, not much is said of him, but he is included along with the list of entrusted men with Paul. And because he is included in this letter, it's important to talk about him. Um, listen to this compliment that is given to him along with the other men that Paul has mentioned. He said in verse 11, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. He made the list. He must have been an awesome brother in Christ. These men who were with him, as Paul says, were a blessing to him. They were a help to him. They were an extension of God. They were an extension of Christ. They were with him at his darkest moments, and then they were there rejoicing with him when he had triumphs. Then there is Epaphras. He is also a minister, but his connection to the church was that he was actually sent by the church to go visit Paul in prison. So he was from Colossae. He was one of their pastors, one of their ministers, who was basically reporting what was going on with the church uh, to Paul. And it was in reaction to that report that Paul wrote the letter to Colossians, uh, that wrote the letter of Colossians. Now, Paul's remark about Epaphras is that he is an awesome prayer warrior for Christ. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea, and in Heropolis. When we look at Epaphras, it's, it's awesome to see what kind of brother he was. Epaphras struggled on their behalf in prayer. When you look at the, uh, the, the word struggle, it, it basically translates to he wrestled in prayer for them. He wrestled in prayer. That points to his consistency and it also points to his zeal and prayer for the members of his church. How, mu how much do you wrestle in prayer for others? I know we pray. If you have the spirit of the Lord in you, you should pray. 
I know we pray for our circumstances and our situation and for God to show mercy upon us and to help us in our time of need. That's all appropriate, but, and I know we mention each other in our prayers. As I look around, it's like, I know what's going on here. I know what's going on here. God help them. God help them. God help them. But how much do we wrestle for our brothers and sisters in prayer? How much do we visit God in prayer for one another? When the prayer request comes across our screen, what is our response to that? I know we can think of a lot of different excuses of why we don't do it. But as Christians and as brothers and sisters in Christ, the most that we can do for each other is pray for one another. Yes, we can help one another, and we should if we have the availability, if, 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 we, have, if we can meet that need. But we should hold each other up in prayer. We should wrestle in prayer for one another. When the prayers of Christ are exposed to us in Scripture, he is found wrestling in prayer for his followers. It's not about him. It, it, he mentions himself, yes. He prays to God concerning himself, but we see his prayers for his disciples and and and. and praying that God would bless them and keep them and empower them and use them. We should follow Christ's example and be in prayer for one another. And we should also appreciate those who consider their ministry a ministry of prayer. I think that's one of the areas that is so overlooked in churches. Obviously, you have the, the ministry of the pastors, you have the ministry of the deacons, you have the ministry of Sunday school teachers, you have all these different ministries that people really look at and say, oh, that's an important ministry. The ministry of prayer is essential within church life. And I, I truly appreciate those who reach out and say, what, what can we pray for? What is the need that you have? I'm not, I know I'm not the only one who appreciates that. When someone reaches out and asks you that or tells you that, and it's not, it's not the pastor, it's not one of the pastors, but it's, it's, a, it's a fellow Christian brother or sister who says, hey, what can I pray for you for? That's an awesome ministry, and it's needed. That's what empowers the church. That's what supports the lives here. Yes, obviously everything is built on Christ, but we need to pray for one another. We need to be ministers of prayer. And as I look at Epaphras, he is a reminder of that. Then Paul also mentions Luke. Luke was Paul's trusted companion, just like Mark was. Luke and Paul... They, they, they stayed together. There are times where Luke was in different places. Like I just read 2 Timothy and, and Luke had, uh, they were separated for a time, but it wasn't for any, um, 
it wasn't because of a fight or disagreement or anything else like that. It was to do the Lord's work. But we see that Luke was Paul's trusted companion, and he is the one who penned many of his letters. Paul spoke. Luke was writing. Uh, Luke traveled with Paul, and he was commended to him through thick and thin. He's also mentioned in Paul's last letter. Luke is a reminder for me of, of that brother and sister in the Lord that, that is just always there, always present. And I don't mean in a bad way either. Because sometimes that could be, oh, that brother's always there. He never leaves me alone. Like, you know, ministry, when I say ministry now, I'm speaking of the pastoral ministry. There are a lot of people who don't know this, and maybe you've heard it before. And people are shocked to hear this, but the pastoral ministry is a very lonely ministry. And what's funny about that, and it sounds contradictory, because you're, you're always with people. You're always speaking to people. You're always helping people. You're always praying for people. You're always around people, and you think, oh, there's no way that's a lonely ministry. No, it, it is. It is because a lot of times you're pouring out and no one's pouring in. It is because you're, you, you, you keep people away a little bit. It's like you can't really open up because if you opened up, then how would the church look at you? How would they see you? How would they react to that? How, what would they think of you? All these different things. I'm not saying it's right, but it's true. There are a lot of different reasons why the pastoral ministry is one of the loneliest positions in the church. And a lot of pastors struggle with that. A lot of pastors really do. They, they feel lonely. They don't have a relationship. They, they, many pastors leave the ministry because of that. I'm not saying that's right, but I'm telling you it's true. I'm fortunate enough to have brothers and sisters who I can call friends. I'm fortunate enough that these friends know who I am. They know that I'm a flawed man. They know I have sin. They know I make mistakes, and yet they are there with me for the long haul. That's a blessing. Listen, in one's lifetime, few find trusted companions who are willing to lay down their lives for their friends. Well, within the church body, that should be something that's normal. It shouldn't be the exception, not only for the congregation, but also for those who are in ministry, for those who are leading the congregation. Within the church, that type of relationship is the basis of all friendships. We are to be companions for life in a sense. Now, is that different than other relationships? Of course it is. But God has brought us together. If we believe in God's sovereignty, we believe in his providence, then God has brought you here to be a part of this body. 
and you are a part of this body, not just so that you can benefit from it, but that you can bear the burden of your brothers and sisters in Christ and you do life with them. When we make a commitment to join a church, we don't make a commitment to join a club. It's like at the YMCA, I've joined the YMCA and it's like in my mind, I have to go there a certain amount of times a week just so that I'm making sure that I'm part of the membership. That's not what church is about. When you join a church, you join a body of Christ. When you join a church, it's not a name, it's not a building, it's not even a ministry. You are joining people. You are joining with the body of Christ. You are coming together. You're one of the pieces that fits in the larger puzzle. You are to live in harmony with each other. Luke is a reminder of that for me as I look at Paul's life. And along with Luke, we have Demas, and he's the last one, verse 14. And listen, Luke and Demas are totally different. Because, yes, Demas, at the moment in time when Paul wrote this letter, Demas was a faithful brother. He was there right beside him. But he would later betray and desert Paul. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, chapter 4, verse 10. I'll give you time to turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. This is what Paul says about Demas. He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And then, well, that, that's where he says about Demas. And then he mentions other people. So we see that although Demas is there at the, that moment in time, Demas would later desert Paul. Now, as I read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, I sit there and I'm, I'm, I'm praying. This is already, it's so funny because as I, as I read that, I'm praying about something that's already happened, but I, I'm praying that hopefully Demas was restored at some point before the end of his life. But only the Lord knows. We, we know if he was the Lord's, he was restored. <laughs> but listen, we look at Luke and we say, I want that companion. Well, that's, that's awesome to want that. But it, it takes you being involved in that relationship. It takes you pouring in as well as him or her pouring into you. Obviously, you should have that type of relationship. If you're married, you should have that type of relationship. If you have a family, you should have that type of relationship. But also, if you're a member of this church, you should have those types of relationships within the body of Christ. But we see Demas, and that scares us. We're like, you see, this is why, this is why I don't do church. This is why I don't get close to anybody. I, I would love to find a Luke, but I don't want to find a Demas. I don't want to find him because... Uh, that means somebody's going to hurt me. That means somebody's going to desert me. That means somebody's going to leave me behind. And 
I'm going to have to suffer the consequences of that. Well, again, the possibility of failure within relationships is, I guess, for lack of a better word, is possible. On this side of heaven, our relationships have sin. We live in a fallen world. But that shouldn't keep us from loving and trusting. We must trust the Lord. Because ultimately, that's what we're putting our trust in. We're forming relationships because we have been commanded to. We're loving each other because we have been commanded to. We're serving one another, not because that other person deserves it, but out of reverence for Christ. It all goes back to Christ. So we must trust the Lord and seek the good of our neighbors. And Demas is a reminder of that. Then we see the people that Paul is writing to. And it's awesome because we see all everybody who's involved. We saw everybody who was with Paul and then, and then everybody else. And within everybody else, we see uh, Nympha who was hosting the church at her house. Uh, we see Archippus who was a, a minister. And maybe he was a minister who was having doubts. Maybe he was struggling with his calling. Uh, whatever it was, Paul found out about it, and he says, see that, to, to uh, Archippus, he says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. In other words, keep on keeping on, brother. The Lord is using you. Now, as I look at all these different names, it is a reminder of God's beautiful church. All these people with Paul helped to make ministry to the church in Colossae possible. Paul is often seen as the one who gets all the credit. When you look at the letters of Paul, we're like, man, Paul was an awesome apostle. But he didn't, he didn't do the work by himself. And, and today we're able to see that support system. The truth is that these people were not the support system of Paul, but rather they were members of the body of Christ. They were extension of Christ. And even Paul himself was serving the head. If you look at the story of these people, you will find yourself in one or more of them. Today, maybe you're striving to be a faithful servant. And to you, I say, keep striving. That's a good goal. Maybe someone has sinned against you. And you're struggling with the concept of forgiveness. I want to say, remember that Christ has forgiven you. Remember that the church, that a church body is to suffer with one another and to rejoice with one another. Bear each other's burdens and serve one another out of reverence for Christ. As we look at all these different people and wherever we fit in, whatever your role is, Remember that God has brought us together. He has brought us together. It has been done by him and for him. And it's in him that we are all held together. I really appreciate this sermon because it really has opened my eyes to the people around me. 
lot of times we have negative views on God's church, and we shouldn't. God's true church is beautiful. Does it have sin? Yes. But it's beautiful because it belongs to Christ. It is a beautiful bride of Christ. And although we struggle and although we have trouble in this world, we can take heart because God has overcome this world. He is calling you, or he has called you to be a body, a member of the body of Christ. My prayer for you is that you fulfill that ministry with all of your heart. Let's pray.